Well, good morning. It is good to see all of you. Awesome. You look great. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now at an off-site campus or on the internet. We're glad that you're along for the ride uh, too. I don't know if you did it at your campus, uh, but here and in the venues, we just did a love song and a lot of you sent in your pictures of you and your tight squeeze, you know, and some of you sent in your wedding pictures and what I want to say is, uh, dude, what happened? I mean, some of you look really good then, not so much now, you know. I mean, that's not good, all right? Well, uh, listen, we got a lot of work to do. I don't have much time to fool around here. We've got a lot of information to cover and uh, good stuff. Hope to get you some things that will make you laugh, make you cry, make you mad. And uh, if we do all of that, we'll be great and lead you to Jesus, okay? So here's the deal. <clears throat> we're in a new series we're calling Love Song, and we're going to study the book of Song of Solomon. Anybody ever heard a message or a series from the book of Song of Solomon? Okay, a couple of you. We didn't do those when I was growing up in church because sex was off limits. Christians didn't think about it or do it. And so... Um, it's a steamy little book. It's got eight chapters in it. It will be PG-13. Uh, we're not going to go th- for anything gratuitous, but we're going to call them like we see them. Now, what I'd like to do is I'd like for everybody, if you would, to uh, read along with us. Uh, during the week, if you take the next 40 days, we're going to call it 40 Days of Love. How's that? Uh, read Song of Solomon every day, if you would. There's eight chapters. You can read one a day and then two on Sunday just to kind of prepare uh, for what we're going to be doing. And then at the end of this series, we're going to do an actual Q&A. Love to answer your questions. I'm not going to prepare anything that week. We're just going to Q&A. What we need you to do is get your questions into us ahead of time, and there'll be information on the city about how to do that. So uh, you can take a look at that. In fact, I'm going to refer to several books, studies, what have you today. I'll have the links on the city if you just want to look at those uh, after we're done. That'll save us all just a little bit of uh, time. Let me tell you what we know about the Song of Solomon. And let me say up front, it's not just all going to be about married couples. Some weeks we'll talk more to married couples than singles. Some weeks we'll talk more to singles than married couples. We'll just kind of mix it all in there because the book is about that. What do we know about the Song of Solomon? First of all, we know or we think that it was probably written by Solomon when he was quite young and uh, did not have 300 wives and 700 concubines. He repented of that later. But this is when he was young and naive, all right? Um, we also know that it is a book of poetry, okay? It's beautiful. It's poetry. It's not history. You know, when we studied the book of Acts, Acts is a history book. And so we went through verse by verse and studied it like that. When we studied the book of uh, Titus, it, it, it's a, a, a letter. And so we studied it as a letter with three parts. This is poetry, okay? It's very beautiful poetry. We're not going to go verse by verse through the poetry, uh, we're going to take themes out of it and have different themes uh, kind of each week. That's kind of uh, how we'll do it. We also know that this book is about real people. It's about two young people who love each other very much, very much in love, and they're looking forward to consummating that love through the marriage relationship. Now, why do I say that? Because up until just recently, commentators on this um, would not kind of go that direction. In fact, some commentators say that the book of Song of Solomon is an allegory of Jesus' love for the church. 
And as you read it, that's actually kind of creepy. Okay, uh, just be real, real honest with you. Um, <clears throat> like some worship songs. But anyway, uh, I'll give you some examples. Uh, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Uh, this is the young woman speaking. And she says, Kiss me again and again, for your love is sweeter than wine. How fragrant your cologne and how pleasing your name. No wonder all of the young women love you. What do the commentators say about that? They say that that is actually spiritual yearning for the Word of God. Really? <laughs> that's a young woman saying, dude, kiss me. You know, I mean, I, I want some of that. Okay, that's just kind of what it is. Here's one. It's not in your outline sheet. I just was reading it yesterday. And I went, whoa, this is one of those. Song of Solomon 113 says, My lover is like a sachet of myrrh lying between my breasts. That's the female saying that. My lover is like a sachet of myrrh lying between my breasts. Guess what the commentators say about that? They say that that's talking about Christ appearing between the Old Testament and the New Testament. (laughs) Okay, whatever. Song of Solomon 7.7 says this. The guy says this. You are tall and slim like a palm tree, and your breasts are like clusters of dates commentators. That's about the nurturing effect of the Word of God. That's what the breasts are about. No. That's about a dude that's going, I like the way you look. Okay, this is really cool. Okay. And so you need to know, that's how we're going to approach the book because I think that's how the book was written. Okay. It has some spiritual implications, but it's mostly about a relationship. Now, it's about love. It's about passion. It's about hope, and it's about marriage. Honestly, marriage has taken a beating these days. It really is. Did you know that since 2005, the majority of U.S. households have not been headed by married couples? Up until 2005, married couples, majority, the pendulum has shifted in the last five years. Did you know that the number of uh, cohabiting Unmarried partners increased by 88% between 1990 and 2007. How many of you think that's a trend? People living together before they're married. Only one quarter of American households consist of traditional families these days. In other words, a married couple with kids. One quarter are traditional families. The majority, did you know that the majority of couples marrying today live together first? The majority of couples in the church is very little different than that. Lived together before they got married. That's the majority. 55% of Americans approve of men and women living together without being married. Marriage is taking a beating these days. In fact, I read a, an article uh, this summer from Newsweek magazine, just recently written, I think in June, uh, two 20-something girls from New York. And they wrote the article, and the article was entitled, I Don't, The Case Against Marriage. And basically what they're saying is, is they're saying that marriage is kind of like the corded telephone. How many of you have a corded telephone? How many of you even remember? Let's go back a little bit. How many of you remember talking to your t- tight squeeze while twirling the cord in your finger? Okay. This is something college students are going, what planet are you from exactly? Okay. They're saying that 
marriage is like the corded telephone. It's a relic of the past that's unnecessary anymore. They, they, uh, they basically make the case that, you know, a decade after sex in the city made singledom kind of chic and uh, after, uh, after all uh, young adult couples are waiting longer and longer and longer to marry, maybe we shouldn't marry at all. Why bother? They talk about uh, the statistics that we've all read about divorce and unhappiness and all of those things. And then they tell about their own experiences of uh, being raised in families that were broken and being shuttled from one station wagon to another. And there, there's another one, station wagon. What is that? <laughs> and then they, um, they, they talk about maybe we were created more for serial monogamous relationships. In other words, you just are committed to one person for a period of time and that marriage is a thing of the past. And they kind of conclude it saying, having donned our share of bridesmaid dresses and toasted dozens of nuptials, we'll take reason over romance. Happily ever after doesn't have to include I do. Maybe they have a point. Maybe the time for marriage as we know it has passed. Maybe there's something new and something better on the horizon. Why marry? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, if you were thinking about taking a job, who in their right mind would would take a job where in your 20s you committed for an entire lifetime that you could never change? Well, that doesn't make sense. And yet that's what we're asking in a marriage relationship. Why not just enjoy relationships as long as the passion lasts? Because I don't care who who you are, the passion will wane. And when that happens, the first time that happens, why not just go, you know what? That was great for that season. Let's move on to the next. Maybe we're wired up for that. Who knows? Maybe marriage as we know it is just broken. And some of you would say today, I know my marriage is broken. You'd say it's been broken for a long time. Or some of you might say you've been, you've been married for a long time and the passion that flows from Song of Solomon is drained from your marriage a long, long time ago. Or maybe some of you are single and you've got a hope to be married and it, married and it just seems like it's not in the books for you and you're hoping maybe there's something better. Well, you know what? My prayer is that you will find hope in the words of this book and the words that I speak over the next few weeks. And today what I want to do is I want to make a case for marriage. They said, I don't. I want to tell you why you should. Rather than live together or the other alternatives, why marry? So why should you? I'm glad you asked. Here's the first thing. Because God created it. Because God created it. I'm an amateur photographer. I do it for a hobby. Enjoy taking pictures. Some of you are professional photographers. I've seen some of your work. You're incredible. Some of you make part of your living. Some of you make all of your living from photography. Let me give you an example. What if you took a wonderful picture and you kind of cropped it just like you wanted it and you put it on your website? And then a few weeks later or a few months later, you're cruising the internet and you see it on somebody else's website selling something. And it's been recropped. It's been photoshopped. A product or a person has been put into it. It looks totally different than how you created it. How would you respond? 
What gives you the right? That's my intellectual property. In fact, didn't you see the little C with a circle on it on the picture? What does that mean? That's a copyright. It has my copyright on it, which means in order for you to use it in any way, you've got to have my permission. In order for you to change it, I've got to say yes to the change. That's not right. You stole my copyright. God has the copyright on marriage. It's His. When we change it, when we alter it, when we say, I'd rather it be this way, this is old, this is not the way it should be, we're using God's intellectual property. And God's saying, what right do you have? See, God actually invented it. The same way He invented trees and DNA and the food chain and the Gamecocks. (laughs) Do you actually think marriage sounds like something that was created by a guy somewhere? Hey, here's an idea. Let's call it marriage. Here's how it works. What you do is when you're in your teens or your early 20s, when you have very little wisdom and no life experience, you commit yourself to one person for a lifetime, forever. And you can never change your mind, except maybe on a couple of occasions. And you have to share everything you have. And... You can't have sex with anybody else forever. What do you think? Great idea? There is no guy that created that. I can tell you that right now. Okay? God created marriage. He owns the copyrights. It's part of creation. And when we try to remake it, we're violating his intellectual property. J. Vernon McGee, old Bible teacher who's dead now, you say this, this is God's universe and He does things His way. You may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. (laughs) Yeah! Would you agree that most of our problems in life come when we think we have a better idea than God? Yeah. Yeah. In Genesis 2, God literally creates an institution called marriage when He makes for Adam a wife whose name became Eve. In Genesis 2.21, it says, So the Lord God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. He took one of Adam's ribs and he closed up the place from which he had taken it. And then the Lord made a woman from the rib and brought her to Adam. Look at the next verse. At last, Adam exclaimed. i got to give you some context here. If you looked at the context of that, here's what actually happened. You can read it for yourself. God says it's not good that man is alone. He needs a partner. So he parades all the animals before Adam. He says, Adam, do you see anything that kind of interests you at all? Adam says, well, you know, the zebra has nice legs, but uh, no, not really, not really. And so God puts him to sleep and he takes from Adam a rib and he crafts and creates Eve. Adam wakes up and says, now you're talking. That's what I was talking about right there. Okay. So 
So it goes on and it says, At last, Adam exclaimed, She's part of my own flesh and bone. She will be called woman because she was taken out of a man. And then it says, This explains. And when it says, This explains, it is laying out for you the institution of marriage. It's more than just something that happened there. God is saying, This is my creation. This is my copyright. Here's how I plan it to be. It says, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And it happens in a ceremony. It's not like in the dark somewhere. You get the whole family together and then you get the friends. And you stand up and you say, okay, this is the one. And you differentiate this relationship. This relationship is going to be more important than even that with a father and mother. Love you, mom and dad, but this is where my allegiance is going to be. It's going to be more important than the kids that we will produce. And let me tell you something, Mom. If your kids are a higher priority than your husband is, you got a problem. And your marriage has a problem. Guys, if there's anything that's of higher priority other than God, than your wife, then you're out of line. And life's not going to work for you very well. Somebody said, when Mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And the rest of that is, when daddy ain't happy, ain't nobody cares. Okay? That's just kind of how it is. Just kind of how it is. And so, and, and, and so he says, get the family together. Make the declaration. This is a spiritual covenant between you and God and him and her. And then when you've done that, he says, and the two are united into one. Well, I've heard that spiritualized, but that's talking about sexual intercourse. He says, following the ceremony, go get busy. That consummates the marriage. Now, back then, well, actually not then, but there wasn't anybody else there. But uh, when they got a few people around and in the early, in the New Testament times, they would actually have the ceremony that they would go, okay, pronounce your husband and wife, here's the room, go. They'd all kind of stand around and wait. That's pressure, okay? (laughs) That's the institution of marriage. It's a sacred bond between a man and a woman instituted publicly, entered into before God, and consummated by sexual intercourse. And you say, well, Craig, this is the 21st century. I mean, what about when a guy loves a guy or a woman loves a woman and... We ought to have that called marriage too. And let me just say this. I'm for everybody having rights. And we ought to do that through the legal system. But if you change marriage, you're monkeying with God's copyright. He owns it. I don't have a right. And neither do you. Call it something else. You say, well, Greg, (laughs) okay. (sighs) The 21st century... Everybody's sleeping together before they're getting married. Uh, you know, maybe we could put that on the front end and kind of just, you're just ticking a lot of people off. Well, let me, let me tell you something. Number one, not everybody's doing it. Most people are, okay? I'll give you that, but not everybody is. And we could change it, but God owns the copyright on it. If you want God's blessing, you do it God's way. So the first reason for marriage, why marry rather than, Another alternative is because God created it. Let me give you a second one. The second reason for marriage, you're going to like this one, is because it has great benefit packages. 
Oh, man. Listen, I used to do a lot of weddings. And I, when I did weddings, I did premarital counsel. And I, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the premarital counsel because I'd get to know people. We'd come in for four weeks together, and I usually didn't know them, and we'd know each other real well and you know, become friends and all this. There was always an awkward moment. And that moment was when I would pull out the purity covenant and ask, well, I'm going to have to ask you to sign this if I'm going to officiate your marriage. And we'd go through it. And it basically said it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've been doing up to now. Um, I'm going to ask that you not be involved sexually at all until you get married. Okay? I had one couple, they were getting married a year from then. They were living together, been living together, had come to Christ in this church, and they had no spiritual background at all, had been uh, baptized in water in the uh, ocean. And when I pulled out the purity covenant, he looked at me like I was an alien. <laughs> or at least from somewhere north of Greensboro. You know, I mean, it was like... It was like a cow looking at a fresh gate. You know, you are kidding me. I said, no, I'm dead serious on this one. And so I went through and I explained some of the things I'm going to explain to you right now and, and some of God's whys. And then at the end I said, you know what, and listen, I love you. If you and if this is going to give you too big of a nosebleed to do this, don't sign the paper. There are other ways to get married. I don't have to marry you. In South Carolina, anybody that's a notary public can marry you. And if you don't know one, it only costs 25 bucks. They'll send you a thing, you know, sponsor a friend or something, you know. But if you ask me to marry you, here's what you're doing. You're asking for God's blessing on the relationship. See? That's what I do. When we stand in front of, when you stand in front, of, in front of me or any other minister in this church or a minister, you are asking God's blessing. When we pray, it's not just words, it's conveying the blessing of God on your relationship. And trust me, you can't just do your own thing and expect God to bless it. Blessing always follows obedience. And God has a plan for marriage. Okay? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and so you can, and as I explained to him, you can, you, know, you can get married without God's blessing. You can do that if you want to. But entering your relationship without the blessing of God is like going into a rainstorm without an umbrella. You can do it, but why would you want to? See, God's blessing the curses and the, the stuff that happens in the world is out here and God's blessings underneath the umbrella of obedience to Him. Last weekend, if you came to this service at Long Point, there was a deluge. Unreal. I mean, and you looked at the radar screen and it was only right over here. I think it was God testing your commitment. Okay? Well, I got out, I, I was, got here early and just a few sprinkles. I always carry an umbrella in my car and I thought, I don't think I need an umbrella. That's a guy thing. You kind of gauge how wet will I get, you know. It's like, oh, it's all right, you know. And fortunately, I brought the umbrella. You can go into a rainstorm without an umbrella, but why would you? And can I tell you, relationally, if you don't do it God's way, you can get soaked. Let me give you proof. Um, In the book, Living Together, Myths, Risks, and Answers, Author Mike McManus lists several risks of living together instead of just making a commitment to marriage. First one is the risk of conditional love 
in a performance-based relationship. In other words, it goes like this. Two people love each other. They care, care about each other. They're wondering, is this the one? So they decide, okay, let's move in together to kind of test the relationship, hoping that it'll lead to marriage. But I need more certainty. How often have I heard that? How often have you heard that? How often have you thought that? Need more certainty. Let's move in together and figure it out. Here's, unfortunately, what happens is it becomes a performance-based relationship. It's kind of a tryout. Each of you are trying to earn the other's love through achievements. It becomes an if-then that's hard to break. If you make me feel loved, I'll marry you. If I'm fulfilled sexually, I mean, I, hey, you don't want to be with somebody for a lifetime that doesn't, you know, fulfill me sexually. If you fulfill me sexually, I will marry you. If you like the things that I like, then I'll marry you. The problem with that is it gets into a whole performance thing. And living together is conditional. Marriage is based on permanence. It just says, you know what? I'm going to commit myself to you. Might not be good at all those things that we're talking about in premarital counsel, but we're going to figure it out. And I commit to you to become the best that I possibly can be, but I'm going to love you unconditionally regardless. Then there's the risk of unrealistic expectations. Couples seldom talk about what, what they want before they start living together. That's one of the reasons we, we have everybody go through premarital counseling here. No exceptions. Don't come to us and say, oh, we've been knowing each other a long time. We don't need premarital counsel. No, the answer will be no. Don't get mad. Don't get your undies in a bunch. Just do it the right way. Okay? And the reason we do it is because there are some things we want you to talk about that maybe you haven't thought about. Very seldom do people do that before they move in together. Very seldom. Do they do it? And then they have different expectations. She hopes it's going to lead to marriage. Often he's hoping for more sex and cheaper rent, okay? And uh, honestly, the women get soaked in this most of the time. They pay a higher percentage. This statistics, you go on, on the city and look at them. Higher percentage of the bills and do more of the cooking, cleaning, etc. There's a higher risk of divorce if they do get married. On and on and on and on. So why marry rather than just live together. What are the benefits of being married? Um, In the book, The Case for Marriage, Why Married Couples Are Happier, Healthier, and Better Off Financially, a couple of ladies just looked for statistics and various studies that were done, and they compiled them, and they gave several answers. I'll give you two or three of them. Number one, married couples are happier than their counterparts who are just simply living together. They report less depression, less anxiety, less lack of well-being, Um, even bad marriages tended to get better. I saw this statistic a long time ago that um, they kind of went through married couples and they said, do you have a good marriage, bad marriage? And the ones that answered things are not good, those that stayed together, they did a redo like in five years and they found out five years later that 86% of the bad marriages now said, you know what, it's a lot better, a lot better. So the point is, if it's bad right now, you hang in there, you do some of the right things, Chances are really high, 86%, that it's going to get better in the future. It doesn't have to stay the way that it is. Married couples are happier. Married couples are healthier. They go through a whole thing on that, wealthier, live longer. Here was the interesting one. I like this. Maybe you will too. Married couples tend to have better and more frequent sex. Wow. It's going to get real quiet here for a minute, but it's going to be fun. It'll help you. See, despite such reliable sources as sex in the city and friends, um, 
The facts tell us that the happiest people are not those who are looking for someone new to go to bed with every Friday night. According to the National Sex Survey, they said, 43% of married men are having sex twice a week compared to 26% of the single guys. It's really quiet right now. One couple came up to me in the foyer and she said, he lied to me, he said twice a month. I said, you guys go talk about that, okay? <laughs> anyway, this is good. Guys, I'm helping here. You can go talk about this stuff. Say, Greg said this, what do you think? Might open up a conversation. With women, it was similar statistics. But here's what was interesting. It's not just more. The quality. said twice as many married women are likely to find their sexual experiences emotionally satisfying than their single counterparts. Men were very similar with just a smaller gap. Why is that? Why is married sex more satisfying? Let me tell you. The secret sauce to sex is commitment. It's commitment. It's where it is. God knew what he was doing. See? So the authors conclude their chapter on marriage by saying, how ironic that one of the compelling reasons for couples to cohabit is the availability of sex. And yet, ultimately, by sidestepping marriage, the right and best way to live together, the couple ends up with sex light. So, why marry? Because God created it. Because it has an awesome benefits package. You ready for one more? You're really going to like this. It's going to make you cry here in just a second. All right? Here we go. Because there are some things that you'll never see without it. Um, Debbie and I, we're from Colorado. We like to go to Colorado. We went to Colorado this summer. Whenever we go to Colorado, we go to the mountains. And we usually take day trips, drives, and what have you. Now, we like to take what are called long cuts. See, there's a shortcut through the Colorado mountains, and I thank God for it because it wasn't there when I first started living there. It is now. It's called I-70, and what they did is they took out a lot of the bends and up the overs and all that and uh, put up guardrails so it was much safer, and they actually knocked two holes in the mountains so that you could go over, and a trip that used to take between four and six hours now takes two hours to go from Denver to Grand Junction, Colorado. And so I'm thankful for that, but here's the problem. A lot of tourists come to Colorado and they want to go to the mountains and they ride up that or get off right there on either side of the exit or whatever. And then they come home and they say, we saw Colorado. I would beg to differ with you. You see Colorado when you not take the shortcut, but when you take the long cut. Our favorite long cut is Trail Ridge Road. We went there two or three times this past summer. Trail Ridge Road just kind of meanders around and it goes all over and it has steep inclines and it goes up here and down here and across. And finally at the top, it's 12,800 feet. It's the highest paved road in America. And it's incredible. I mean, down here in the valleys, you can see things like moose. You stop and you get out and you look around and you can see moose. And, and up here on some of the higher ridges, you can see elk. I've, I've taken pictures of them and watched them. And when you get to the top, the vistas are incredible. You'll never see that on the shortcut. You just won't see that kind of stuff. And that's certainly the way it is with, with marriage. Marriage is... Uh, is uh, it, it, you know, it, it can be dangerous at times. It's a small, narrow, two-lane road. And there can be steep inclines. 
You know, Matthew 7 and verse 13 talks about our relationship with God. And I think it would be translated to doing marriage God's way. It says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And can I tell you, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this and I'm talking about this is because I believe that marriage is in trouble in America. And if our marriages and our families crumble, then our society crumbles. And if our society crumbles, our country crumbles. There's nothing that says America has to be the regime that lasts forever. It can get a lot worse than it is. And I hear very few people talking about this stuff, especially in church. And so I want to make a case for it. I want to make a case for it. Wide is the path. Yeah, everybody's doing Well, not everybody is, but a lot of people are. And it leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few will find it. In a long-term marriage, there are very few guardrails and guarantees. Storms can pop up at any time. On this road right here, we've seen snowstorms in July. I've been married 34 years. We've weathered a few storms. They pop up. There are very few exits and turnarounds in a long-term marriage. But if you stay with it, the rewards are well worth the risk. Yeah, you can take shortcuts. If you commit to a long-term marriage, there, there'll be um, disappointments. There'll be times when things don't work. There'll be times when the conflict seems so big that the only logical thing seems to be out. Been there. But if you'll hang with it, you'll understand that God created it. That there are benefit packages. Then you'll see some things that you'd never see without it on a shortcut. So now what? Now what do we do? You ever been in a shopping center? And you know there's a store there, but you don't know where it is. And so you go to one of those maps, and it says, you are here. And then you look around, and finally you find, oh, there's where I need to go. Well, today, today all of us kind of need to identify the here. And you know, you may not be doing it right. You may be living together right now. You may be not living together, but you're involved sexually with someone you're not married to, boyfriend, girlfriend, or it may be somebody else's husband or wife. Or your, your marriage may be at a real tough place right now, or you may be single and wondering, will it ever happen for me? Here, here, here's what I want to say to you, two things. Number one, I love being your pastor. I don't care where you are. I don't care what alternative lifestyle that you're involved in. I may not approve. Don't ask me to do that. But I love you. And I'm glad you're here. And Seacoast is a place for you. And don't ever think otherwise. But here's what I want you to do. Identify where you are. Just, hey, this is where we are. Have a conversation about it. Today, go out of this place. I gave you plenty of conversation starters. 
sit down at lunch and have a conversation, or maybe tonight, and talk about what we talked about. Go to God with it. During our response time, go to a cross. There are crosses in your campus. There are crosses here. Go to a cross and you may want to repent and say, God, I've been doing it my way expecting your blessing. Or you may just want to go and say, God, we don't have it figured out. We don't know. Could you help us and just take it to Jesus? Okay? Just start where you are. And then the second thing you do is you realize that marriage isn't a straight line from here to there. Okay? Here's how it goes. For, for Debbie and I, we start here and we get going all right, and then it goes over here a little bit, then over here, it's her fault, and then over here, <laughs> maybe back, actually it's always my fault, and then we get on track and we go over here and then maybe here and then it comes back and we feel like, and then, and that's all in one day. <laughs> A normal marriage relationship, this chart looks more like the Dow Jones than it does perfection. Whoa, I don't know what happened there. Oh, well. That's about right. For some of you, you may be over here, you may be right here, or wherever it happens to be, or you may have taken a back track. What I'd like you to do is just go to a candle, light a candle and say, God, would you spark the fire and the passion and put it where it needs to be for us. You're able to do that, okay? And then, and then what? And then what I want you to do. Some of you, you may be right here. Get that in a hurry. Will you do that? That might be important. Hey, some of you are right here. Some of you are right here in your marriage. Let me tell you two things about you. Number one is nobody likes you, okay? (laughs) None of us like you. (laughs) But maybe you could kind of go back and and you might find somebody that's somewhere on their journey and you might just begin to pray for them. And God may be wanting you to have a mission in your marriage for others who are having a difficult time, okay? So let's pray, let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. What an awesome time it's been. And Lord, I ask that you would Guide us, help us today as we navigate these waters of marriage. God, I pray that you would give us a vision and a passion for you and just for obedience to your word and who you are. And God, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. Lord, I pray that significant conversations would spring out of our conversation today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.